right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher, Santos, and the sidekick will recap men's and women's basketball. We'll preview men's and women's basketball, and then we'll have the ever-popular bold predictions. Need about back. Need about back in bold predictions. I think it all went south when you continued to talk about how great you were. As it usually does. That's right. And then For I anyone, just, that's know, usually I just did. What I, I do what I do, right? I'm, I'm like, the, you're the hare, I'm the tortoise. Although I am in still many ahead, ways, so, yeah. in many ways, except Same. except for your hair on, was, on your body. Other than that, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that is true. I am uh, anyway. All right, uh, there we go. <laughs> well, we got derailed very quickly here. All right, ETSU men's basketball, and we'll talk to women's basketball uh, in just a moment. Uh, we'll have both games for you on Saturday, two p.m. Women's tip time versus Wofford, one thirty pregame show. Then men's preview uh, pregame show will begin at six thirty. 7 o'clock tip ETSU Western Carolina on the men's side of things. Okay, Wednesday. The offense appeared to make a comeback. I don't know if that's the best way to word that or not, but ETSU was able to uh, make uh, show back up against Sanford, 88 points on the board. The defense continued to be stifling, held Sanford to 63 points, and I thought some of the most impressive stats in the contest were really some of the stat line by the defensive guys. I know you score 88, sometimes it's easy to just talk offense, but you look at Isaiah Tisdale, you look at Bo Hodges, what they were able to do, uh, defensively, especially when they split time against Josh Sharkey. And I know they particularly didn't shoot the basketball well. They combined for 6 of 17 from the floor. It's just 15 points. They were combined 1 of 6 from 3. They were combined 2 of 7 from the free throw line. So offensive numbers not great. But they combined for 14 rebounds, 8 assists, 0 turnovers, 2 blocks, 7 steals, and forced Josh Sharkey to just three assists and seven turnovers. To me, that was huge numbers defensively. Yeah, pretty crazy. And Trey Boyd actually said it after the contest with you and Bruce Tranbarger on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Post game, just Isaiah Tisdale and Bo Hodges, in his mind, conference players of the year on the defensive side of the ball. If they share it, if one of them gets it, uh, he thinks that they're just about as good as it gets. And he also talked about himself and said, you know, I think I've gotten a lot better, but it's just incredible to see them every night and how much further ahead of me they are and I think I've improved a lot but they just every single day not only in the game but in practice to bring it on the defensive end and Sharkey did have 18 points on 10 shots that's very efficient and goodness 0 of 16 from deep coming into the game against DTSU he kind of blew up from outside but essentially he was all the offense that they had outside of Robert Allen who fouled out late and was the only other player in double figures but yeah seven turnovers and three assists I mean this is a guy that 
is one of the better point guards in the country. And Isaiah Tisdale is one of, I think, establishing himself as one of the better defenders in the region, if not the country, in terms of on the ball. And when you shut down a guy like Josh Sharkey like that in terms of forcing the turnovers and not letting him distribute, because, yes, he can score, we know that, but he is most dangerous, I think, when he is in playmaking mode, and he really opened things up for that Sanford offense. So huge defensive efforts by them, and it was great to see the offense get back on track. I'm pretty sure that we have audio from Steve Forbes on exactly that. I told him um, after the game I'm a lot better coach when the ball goes in the hole. It's just a lot easier game to manage when you're making shots. And I can see it coming. Not that these things are always a barometer, but we shot it really well in practice today and had shot it well the day before. And they had maintained their confidence, and the execution stayed at a pretty high level. And so good things happen when you do that. Talking about that barometer, I'm curious your thought because I've often looked to such things like Coach Forbes just mentioned, how you're shooting it in practice, shoot around, leading up to the game, and it's gone 150% the opposite direction of what I thought it would. And I'll use uh, Kaya Upton, for instance, or Ty Kimbrough on the women's side who we're going to talk about in a few moments. Kimbrough, great free throw shooter in practice. Has a smooth-looking stroke. A lot of them go down. Kaya Upton, really good three-point shooter in practice. Drains everything. I mean, down at Western Carolina, she made like seven or eight in a row on one end of the court and was only cut short because practice was done. So I look at that, and then you look at the numbers, and Ty Kimbrough shooting like 50% from the line. Kaya Upton is three of 36 in her career from outside. So it's not always an indicator, but I think the feel and the energy and the effort and the attitude in the gym is very telling and very indicative, and Coach touched on that, that the team kept their confidence up, even in the struggles. I mean, you're a baseball guy, right? You, you clearly, I'm sure, saw teammates that in the old uh, batting practice, you know, 4 p.m. batter compared to the 7 p.m. lights-on guy, That was right? me, yes. Okay, so yeah. you, you live it. First-hand so experience. That, there does seem to be that with shooters, to me, it's always difficult. I think for post players and stuff, I, I think watching them do things means more to me and shoot around. I've seen plenty of shooters, uh, you know, whether it's it's Trey Boyd and Patrick Good on this team, whether you're talking about the old days of Mike Smith, Courtney Pegram, you know, whether you're talking even further back with James Anthony. I mean, you, you look at is the ball going down? Well, for shooters, man, they could miss everything. I mean, they really could and then come back. And it, it's just interesting to see, you know, what you can take away from shooting out to me it's more i think locked into the game plan that's really what i pay attention to more in shoot around when i go not necessarily is, is the ball dropping maybe on the road you can make an argument well you know it's unfamiliar so if you're starting to shoot the ball you know fairly well at, at, at somebody else's place i can maybe go with that but for the most part when i go to shoot around i like to see our guys really paying attention do, do they know sort of what they're trying to do on offense and defense or the coaches having to stop have they having to blow the whistle are they having to blow people up uh, you know are they having to get on people for not paying attention to the scouting report you know or how are they doing and locked into that contest as opposed to everything else so to me it's more about that because it's an empty gym right it's a little easier i think coach forbes loves to say you know you don't have the score pressure you know, there's no fans in there. So to shoot free throws and hit 10 of the row at the end of practice, not in the heat of you played 32 minutes, your legs are a little weary, the crowd's starting to get on you, or you're trying to ice a game in an unfamiliar territory. So it, it's interesting to see there. It was good to see that as opposed to VMI, Bucks got some early buckets, and then VMI went in that lull. They really didn't go in that lull, and I think 
thinks in most part because Joe Hughley was able to to when it seemed like the Bucks were getting that low, he had a couple big shots. One was a reverse layup, one was a three, but he was able to kind of keep scoring going instead of going four or five minutes. Now the Bucks may have had one field goal over a couple minute span. But that's still better than not having something drop for six or seven minutes. And I think ETSU did a good job of not really having those lulls in the game. And that continued to, to keep it going. And Sanford's not particularly the best defensive team. You know, they, they try to do some things. Bucks had no trouble with the press. They were able to go. They were able to attack. They were able to get layups. They were able to get points uh, off turnovers. And I think that clearly helps ETSU's go. And then the points in the paint where they – I thought they would do better in previous games. They really went back to – Hey, let's get to the rim. Let's let's finish. You know, again, shorthanded, no Jerome Rodriguez. Saw Charlie Weber early in the game. Hugley continues to be one of the best pickups, I think, for the Bucks uh, in the off season. Uh, you know, I know it's a, a one year deal being a grad transfer, but I think his leadership has shown up in a couple of key games, and especially not having Miladin Armas and Jerome Rodriguez, where those were staple double double guys last year now you're really starting to see how important it was to get another guy in uh that could play the four or five position and again have experience to know to stay on the floor because we're not we're going to transition in a minute but when you play western carolina it's even going to be more important for joe hughley to be on the floor at some point in time yeah and it's been encouraging to see him just get more time on the court and be afforded those opportunities now it's not in the way you would want you don't want jeromey rodriguez to have to miss time he's a proven commodity he had 15 double doubles last year one of the best rebounders and down low players um, at the mid-major level if not in the country across all of division one basketball but hughley getting these opportunities he had just one double-digit scoring game in his first nine games he played in blue and gold and now two in his last three and I thought the efficiency uh, showed back up you know we saw it against Milligan he played what seven minutes scored 13 points I mean you can't expect output like that every night if you do the math that's like 80 points per 40 minutes. I think you can I don't know why you can't okay well I mean I love the optimism Uh, I'm sure Joe being the smart guy that he is getting the masters and all he might tell you different but we'd love to see it Uh, but you do it against a conference opponent in Sanford 18 minutes six of eight from the field and get those 14 points he is really making the most of what ETSU is giving him and you're absolutely right that post depth so important because Charlie Weber is not someone that's used to putting in those major minutes right now and even 14 I think is more than a lot of people expected him to get in a conference game this year unless it was going to be a complete blowout but a lot of those minutes came pretty early in the game for Charlie Weber so good to complete offensive effort you know five and double figures Trey Boyd his shot was back on target uh, Lucas Goussaint uh, 12 points and five rebounds and um, Bo Hodges like you said maybe didn't have the best offensive game but did a little bit of everything Patrick Good hit a couple of shots but you also hit on a very important point I don't think we're burying ETSU's offensive struggles just yet because as we talked about statistically on was it Wednesday when we previewed that game it is a situation where ETSU repeatedly has done this kind of thing to Sanford averaging 85 points per game coming into Wednesday over the nine games under head coach Steve Forbes that takes a slight tick up with the 88 so it's a very encouraging sign and it's something ETSU needed going into this big game against Western Carolina who I think proved a little bit of certainly my doubt I've been doubting a little bit of my doubt wrong and hanging with Furman in their last game Wednesday they certainly can score the basketball I think the most impressive thing though for the Catamounts is you know the, the switch sort of on their defensive numbers they lead the league in three-point percentage defense, just allowing 27%. And, of course, that's big because 
ETS. She was very successful, 50% beyond the arc in the two games last year. Of course, a lot of that helped because Patrick Good just went bonkers in Cullowee. But still, if you took his numbers out, the Bucks were 36% from beyond the arc, so he had an extra 14%. Uh, just with his numbers alone. And then field goal percentage defense are right at 44%. Bucks uh, second in the conference as far as field goal percentage defense, fourth because Sanford was a little more successful. So that number jumped up where the Bucks were hovering under 30% on threes hit in the league play, now around 32%. Rebounding, Western Carolina's now taking a lead in conference standing, you know, as far as boards per contest. So adding the extra score, I think, has been tremendous to Western Carolina and what they've been able to do. We know what Carlos Dotson, he's got 23 career double-doubles, 15 last year, eight this season. I didn't realize he was 270 pounds. Oh, he's I knew he was big, but he my goodness. huge. Uh, and can move. He's very you – know, sometimes you get 270 and they're a plotter, right? right. Plopping all over the place. He's a guy that can actually – he's got a little lateral movement to him, some foot speed. You know, I don't think he's going to outrun anybody – flat down the court but you get him on the block he's able to do some things spinning and moving that can create uh, a little bit of problems for defenses we know what matt halverson has been there for a few years of course his brother todd played at etsu but matt can shoot the three from the outside i don't think i have to remind you that cameron gibson threw 53 points in two games on the board against the bucks marcus thomas ono stinger has also been around for a while so those guys have been able or stager excuse me have been able to to put up numbers at different times against etsu but mason faulkner has really found a groove in the southern conference we saw him twice when he was at northern kentucky in the 2017-18 season the first game up at nku which northern kentucky had a pretty good sizable win against etsu bucks returned to favor the good sizable win in freedom hall about three weeks later and so faulkner only had I think it was nine points in the two games. Mm. And he was three for six at home from three, 0 for three in Freedom Hall. Guy that averaged right close to nine, ten points a game at Northern Kentucky. Now he's throwing about 20 points on the board and, and, and doing so in league play. You know, I think he's averaging about 13, 14 overall. Uh, I'll take that back. He's averaging 18 overall, but he's averaging close to 20 in league games. And so you add his points with Halverson, with Dotson, what Gibson can do, plus Stager. Now all of a sudden, the starting five can throw, you know, 70, 80 points on the board by themselves. They're not very deep. You get them in foul trouble, could be a little bit of an issue, but scoring has not been an issue. And when you add that to the fact that they've been better defending uh, the three, defending in the perimeter, not giving up as many points in the paint as they have in, in years past. And obviously, Coach Prosser's done a great job of sort of reinventing Western Carolina in just his second year. Yeah, in his second year, and I want to talk about that a bit more, and I've got some numbers for you as well. But first, Coach Forbes. Yeah, they got good players. i got to look at my notes. I want to say I picked them fifth in the league, and obviously they're doing better than that. I'm not surprised that they're playing well because they got a really good post player. Dodson. I want to see his notes. They got a really good guard, Faulkner, which I didn't know about. I was I was really high on Gibson, the freshman from last year. And then Halverson can shoot the three. Otto Steger's back. Got a lot of guys back. Non-conference, they got some confidence. Came back, and they hung tough with some high majors. And so I listened to Coach's comments and the other night. He was talking about how they were playing. You know, they're playing that non-respect card. I ain't buying that. I respect them. Will respect them. It'll be – we need to get some people down there. You know, it'll be a great – it's a 7 o'clock game. They're back in school. So, they've been getting some good crowds. Um, in the past, it's been our fans. We've outdrawn them. But it'll be a pretty good environment. We've talked about it here and there throughout the winter. 
about the comeback ability of the Catamounts, and it was 22 that they were down against Jacksonville with six minutes left, came back and won, down nine with 319 left against UNCA and won. And I looked for one specific reason why Western Carolina may be completely outperforming the last three or four years and really on pace to outrace many of their seasons this millennium. I mean, this is getting pretty historic at this point for Western. If they can continue to win like this now, it's a big if, but I wasn't able to find any one thing. Now their top four scorers are back, Dotson, Gibson, uh, Stager, Halverson, and of course you add Faulkner. That's pretty obvious. 12-4, and 4-1 four, four and one in the league. But these national numbers, I think looking where they were last year to where they are this year is pretty telling, and it's pretty much across the board. You look offensively. They were 110th in field goal percentage last year, 33 this year. Two-point field goal percentage, 87-33 to 33 this year. Three-point field goal percentage, 55th to 12th in the nation this year. Free throw percentage, up 128 spots from 293 to 165 in the nation. Assists, 273 to 115. So they're playing a bit more together this season. Turnovers, they've cut that down. They were second to last in the country last year in turnovers. Now they're 216th, still a ways to go. But to improve that much is very market, of course. And then scoring, 188th last year to 8th this year in points per game. Rebounding, 212th to 153rd nationally. Defense, 342 to 211th in opponent's field goal percentage. 351 to 280 in two-point field goal percentage. 126 to 32 in defending the three. 326 to 207 opponent free throw attempts. 144 to 84 opponent assists. 350 to 148 in opponent takeaways. So they're holding on to the ball a bit better themselves. In fact, 202 spots better nationally. Opponent blocks 50 spots better in terms of the amount that they're allowing. Opponent turnovers, 110 spots better. And opponent scoring from being one of the worst teams in the country to 285. Again, some improvement still to come, but to go 65 spots up is a big deal. 55 spots, I should say. So really, it's just an entirely holistic improvement. And I'm wondering if you think that it's just Mark Prosser getting into his second year because first year is always going to be a bit of an adjustment period, I think, unless you're the unicorn of coaches that can come in and flip things instantly. But the fact that it's his second year, he has so many players back, it's obvious that they're buying in, and he had that piece. It just seems like altogether, if you fit the pieces of the puzzle into place, that it's all working out exactly how Prosser would have planned, and I think maybe a bit sooner than he would have planned. Is it Prosser? Is it the players buying into Prosser? Is it just a second-year thing? What do you think? I think you look at Western Carolina as one of a few teams in America probably had the same starting five every single game this year. So health. They had four of the starters last year. The only adjustment is putting Faulkner in there. So having two straight years of not just similar roster but the exact same starters doing everything I think is tremendous. You always hear year two in a coach is where or, or even freshman, sophomore, right? That, that right. second year, people make a jump. I think it's easy to see the second year with the players because these, are, I mean, for the most part, a lot of these guys are the same player. Now, Dotson wasn't on the roster um, uh, prior to Coach Prosser getting there, and then Faulkner wasn't. But the rest of the players that are on the roster were holdovers from the other staff. So I think you could easily say Prosser's done a great job of instilling that, but I think a little bit of continuity – of a lot of the same players back. Plus, Faulkner didn't play last year, but he was still in the system because he was redshirting and had to sit out. So, to me, I think it, it, Coach Prosser deserves all the credit in the world for what he's been able to do and to maximize the talent that was either left to him or talent that he's been able to bring in. 
And, of course, the son of the late Skip Prosser. So coaching is in his blood. Success is in his blood. I'm not sure I would have seen this, though. It, it looked to me at the time when they hired Mark Prosser like it was a bit off name because you look at the resume and you say, okay, firstly, Western Carolina, right, they're not a, quote, upper echelon program at the mid-major level. They're not even middle uh, when you think about in the grand scheme of all the mid-major conferences. They're probably, you know, bottom 10 20% of jobs that you would get considering their recent success. And so maybe they were reaching for a name and hoping that Mark is like Skip, right? But even with that thought, you look now and you almost have to dispel it already because he only had one season of head coaching experience prior to this, and it was Brevard, and he was 5-23. and 23, And he didn't get a second season, went to Winthrop, had his you know seven years there, and obviously Winthrop has got a long history of being a solid mid-major program. But uh, I don't know if it's the fact that he is a prosser and his experience at Winthrop, you know, what may have changed. And it's very interesting head coaching-wise. Situation can dictate everything, right? Maybe Brevard, it was just a different group of kids, and they didn't buy in, and they didn't want to do what Mark Prosser said. Now this Western Carolina team is just hungry for success. They're sick of losing. You know, all the old cliches about players that have been there for a long time and then make a jump. But I have to say I was wrong. You know, it's not just the fact that he's a Prosser. Clearly he's pushing the right buttons with this team. And I'm just very impressed by the complete flip that they've been able to do. And Obviously, having Faulkner come over from Northern Kentucky, and like you said, I mean, he wasn't necessarily a bystander in Northern Kentucky for the Norse, but he certainly wasn't someone that you would look at and say, this is the guy we have to stop. Um, Now he's one of the more well-rounded guards at the mid-major level. I mean, it's 18 per game, but it's also six rebounds and 6.4 assists. I mean, this is a complete effort from Faulkner, so he's kind of tearing up the league right now after averaging six per game in his two seasons at uh, Northern Kentucky. He is shooting just 33% in his last four from the field. I'm wondering if conference play is catching up with him just a bit. And Western Carolina, now they did play pretty decent non-conference schedule, and they had some very impressive comeback victories, but that being said, you get into the SoCon. As we've seen, defense has certainly ramped up against the Bucks, and it seems to on Faulkner as well. And Well, and, and let's be honest, there's still, other than Furman, they're getting ready to play ETSU. Then I think they're going to play Mercer again. So they're going to get two games in with Mercer. They've still got two games with Wofford, UNCG, Furman, and ETSU. So I still think the jury is out, especially with some of the offensive numbers, because those are the four best teams. And even Chattanooga. They played Chattanooga in December and had a nice win against Chattanooga. It's Chattanooga, we'll talk about them next week, obviously. But they are shooting the lights out of the ball right now. And honestly, they're probably going to give UNCG a little bit of fits. Uh, this weekend coming up tomorrow so uh, it's interesting to see the catamounts i'm sure now that people have been able to really focus on faulkner people are trying to figure out you know who do you want to beat you do you want faulkner do you want dotson if you try to take those two guys away do you roll the dice gibson halverson um stager who who are you really wanting to do there so you know first look at west carolina it's always an awkward place to play there's generally no atmosphere in there except for halftime when the Purple Thunder get rocking and rolling. So we'll see what's going on. It's usually a home atmosphere more for ETSU. So just curious to see are the students, are the fans buying in to this team this start? And will it be a little bit of a home court advantage or will it be like it always is? And I can tell you every play call that a coach calls in the middle of the game. And let's be clear, you know, this team is one that can still be had defensively. We talk about all their improvements, but clearly the lesser side of the ball of the two is still defense so etsu can continue i think without too much trouble their offensive 
prowess that they showed last game. That being said, Western Carolina is so good offensively this year that it could turn into a race to 75 or 80, um, which would be obviously tremendously entertaining and a lot of fun. Maybe not good for Steve Forbes or uh, Mark Prosser's health, but for the uh, neutral onlooker uh, and someone that doesn't have a dog in the fight, I'm sure it'll be a very good game if it does turn into that, a fun back and forth. Uh, it also, though, could be one of those where we don't see the style of play coming like we have a couple of times this year, like with the Wofford game where it was a 49-48 game. And uh, you know, remember, Furman it was a 150 some combined points at their place last year and then it was 121 this year so it's kind of a toss-up and with that Chattanooga win the other night by the way I I am uh, very confused about where this league is going and what exactly uh, the direction will be for a number of the teams so we break this down we talk about their improvements we talk about one side of the ball versus the other in the style of game and it could go a hundred percent the other way only one uh one time is that right yes only one time have they been held under 70 points wow and that was Xavier, 74-61. Every other game, they've scored at least 70 or more, and they've been in the upper 80s or 90s more than they've been under it. And, and even looking at some of the big-name teams, they got 72 against Georgia, money game. Xavier, the 61 and a loss. 74 against Florida State, yeah. and only lost by five right. in that one. That was the first one that kind of raised your eyebrow, right? Definitely. You know, you're sitting there going, you know, Florida State, I think, number nine, eight, something That's like right. that in the country right now. So you're looking at that in league game, 88 points just in league play. They've scored 88 against Chattanooga, 86 against Citadel, 97 VMI, 79 mm. Mercer, 79 Furman. Wow. So, again, you know, like opponents, uh, th- this is a team that can score. ETSU, their bread and butter so far, and the recipe to winning league games is – holding teams down the one team they didn't hold down and, and you could say and honestly they did they held firm in 65 yeah uh, you would th- i mean they really have not let anybody uh go crazy on them i think citadel got over 70 but that was early in december and the bucks ran away with it anyway so it really didn't matter but since the new year starting on january 1st against wofford the bucks have been clamps down so can western score against etsu can they get to 75 if they do are the Bucks having a day that they can get to right. 75? So I think defense for both teams will be the major question in this game tomorrow. Very intrigued. This is a very intriguing matchup for me. And that's the fun of a team like Western popping up and doing what they've done early on in the season is that you have some mystery left in the league. You know, as teams are kind of figuring out what they're going to be in a strong Southern Conference. So um, this is going to be a good one. Excited for it. All right. And we'll have that broadcast for you. 6.30 pregame show, 7 o'clock tomorrow, West Carolina ETSU. We'll talk women's hoops. The women took on Furman last night. They'll take on Wofford tomorrow. We'll talk about that more after this timeout. San Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson Sidekick back with you on this Friday, the old weekend eve, if you will, as ETSU doubleheader for the network. Mike Gallagher, you heard him last night against the Furman Paladins on the women's side of things from Brooks Gym. He'll be back in Brooks Gym. 1.30 airtime, 2 o'clock tip between the Wofford Terriers and the ETSU Buccaneers. And um, 
Last night, interesting. I uh, t- I think I tuned in right around the start of second quarter. Uh, watched that. Halftime, about a two-point game. Third quarter, nip and tuck coming down the stretch. Waning moments of the third quarter, and then you lost your mind. I wasn't too happy. I'm still not it's, too it's happy. A, you know, you're, you're a, a lot more composed – uh, than I am, I think, over stuff like that. <laughs> now, I, I'm also I try to make backhanded comments, right. and t- but I think people still know. I don't flat out come out and go at people, right? I just I just sort of say little snide things. I think people get them going, and then I move on. And not that you harped on it, but I clearly I, no, heard I it in I your voice. Clearly <laughs> heard it in your voice. You were uh, a little um, miffed. Is that, is that, is that a good? I was perturbed, perturbed okay, no doubt. Um, Rob Fessler is the man that I was perturbed with, and I am not one to blame referees i am not one to cry foul about how the game goes from the zebra's point of view you know i i don't think there's a third team on the court see i I agree i'm with you there too like like there's just to me that's the worst cop out ever yeah and and i understand like a call late in the game and people are like oh they cost i mean there's so many other things that got you to that point but okay i'm with you we both agree with that but you lost your mind but Rob Fessler made an unconscionable, unimaginable, ridiculous call against Jada Craig. So, set the scene here. ETSU was down 12, multiple points in the third quarter. Just didn't come out of the locker room with a lot of energy. It started to resemble a little bit of the Cornell game where they were down three. Now, that was on the road, and it was a long trip up to Ithaca and even a longer trip back. So, these games didn't resemble each other exactly, but... uh, It was looking that way a bit in terms of the result on the scoreboard, right? It was a 12-point game pretty quick out of that uh, halftime buzzer. And ETSU then started to make it look like it was going to be a tight game and put the thought that it may be like the Cornell game in the rearview mirror. They go on an 8-0 run, spurred on by two back-to-back steals of inbounds passes. One by Jada Craig, one by Elise Stafford. ETSU got like five points in a span of 30, 45 seconds, and all of a sudden, four-point game, 55-51, game on. Let's go. Right, can I help you set the scene even Feel further? Free. 11 seconds to go in the quarter. 11 seconds, you get the hand check call. So the shot clock's off, Furman inbounds, and the gym's rocking, ETSU's bench is up, and Jada Craig goes into lockdown mode on Jaria Outen. And it's like a five – I thought it was a five-second call, honestly. When Rob Fessler blew the whistle, I was just like, got to be a five-second call. And in a situation where Jada Craig made what looked to me, and talking to a couple other people, they agreed, zero contact with Jaria Outen, about 45 feet from the basket with 11 seconds on the clock in the third quarter, calls a player control foul, you know, moving the hands side to side, out by his sides, player control. I'm Rob Fessler. <laughs> and <laughs> – the foul called sends out to the line. I mean, I'm the fired sw- up. The sweat that is coming off your forehead right now. <laughs> I had nightmares about it. I mean, it's unbelievable. And goes to the line out and makes both. ETSU's then fouled. Bad foul by Furman, quite honestly. Coming up the court and over by the sideline. ETSU is trapped. But they go to the line and then miss their free throws. And coming down the other way, Manolovic, the point guard, uh, Milica Manolovic for Furman, Goes to the basket, misses, but wide open on the other side of the rim. Selena Taborn, I mean, there were three Furman players there that could have gotten the rebound because everyone from ETS, he went to stop the ball. And she was just wide open on the other side of the net. Fell right into her hands, and she puts it back up and in. And it goes from a four-point game to an eight-point game. Momentum completely crushed by Rob Fessler for that call. If ETSU gets the stop and doesn't get the foul call on Jada Craig, it's a four-point game, and all of the momentum's still with ETSU. And they've got all the energy, and over that... Time between the third quarter, fourth quarter, those couple of minutes, the energy builds even more. Fans on their feet, bench 
you know, completely providing even more for those that are on the court. But instead, completely flips, and then you could see it early in the fourth quarter. Uh, nine to one run. Well, and the, the three. Extends. I was going to say the three goes in right after that, right? And yeah. all, all of a sudden, it's just it's snowballed, right? No it, question. But it goes from four to eight. To your point, and then the first bucket of the second half, it finally goes down as a triple for Furman, and then all of a sudden, you went from what was a four point start the quarter to all of a sudden you're down eleven. And we look up at the scoreboard, it. It does take the wind out of the sails for sure. You can tell. Rob the, Fessler the, might as well have been knocking down the jump shots himself. It was unbelievable. I just <sighs> and again, I'm not a guy to bash refs, but that was bad. Anyway, uh, obviously TSU did not necessarily respond to that call extremely. I mean, you well. didn't respond well. <laughs> I definitely did not respond very well. They responded a lot better than I did. So fourth quarter again, uh, it was all essentially you know elementary at that point. You know, it had been decided with that early run and got to 15-16 and ended up being a 19 point game okay. in favor of Furman. Can we just talk about the day that Elise Stafford had? Yes. Let's go to some positives. Yes, here. please. Uh, Elise Stafford, anytime you can throw 23 points on the board with 11 shots, I mean, 8 of 11 from the floor, 3 of 4 from 3, 4 of 5 from the line, 31 minutes, but 23. I mean, that's kind of what you hope you could get. I, I think it's still too much to ask her to – I would love to see 23 and I. Yeah. But the efficiency, you know, if she can get 11 shots and get 15 or more, I think – the Bucks are going to deal love and deal with that every single day. And then Micah Sheets gets 12, 4 or 12 on, on sort of a typical maybe normal night for her. Just needed some extra help somewhere else and, and didn't get it. But at least Stafford was an animal last night. Outside of Rob Fessler, there were a couple things that ETSU was up against, and one of them was foul trouble. They had multiple fouls on five of their eight available players like midway through the second quarter and Elise Stafford then picked up a third I thought brilliant coaching move by Brittany Azell to keep Stafford in there because she could tell that Stafford was really starting to establish her presence offensively and Stafford with just five shots she had 16 points on five shots at the half tying her career high in points on just five shots and then of course blew by her career high by scoring 23 but great move to keep her out there because she was really impacting the game for ETSU and that's what made it a one-point halftime deficit but with eight healthy bodies it was always going to be tough going late into the game and that is I think the other thing aside from the call that Rob Fessler made because even I will admit it is a little ridiculous to blame a whole game on one call not necessarily what I'm doing I'm just again still very uh, emotional about the situation as you can tell but it was unfortunate because while Brittany Zell did go with Elise Stafford up until halftime she didn't come out with her in the third quarter she actually sat her for the first two minutes or first few minutes I should say and understandably so right you don't want her to get that fourth foul and then you're right up against it and it completely changes the way you operate on the court so sits Elise Stafford then when Elise comes back in doesn't take a shot the rest of the third quarter and I don't know if it was ETSU just not kind of forcing her the ball or Elise you know got a few touches and she wasn't necessarily very aggressive and so the Bucks, you know struggled for the majority of that second half with offense when Stafford took a step back but yeah no Maya Adams last night uh with a sprained ankle she hopefully will be available tomorrow but it's also not a guarantee Sierra Purdue hasn't been able to eat in like two days from what I understand she's got a viral infection and has been throwing up a lot yada 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 don't need to go into the gory details there Micah Sheets for the second time in a home game this year had some leg cramps at a really tough time she was just starting to get going offensively got four quick points and then leg cramps up 
has to be taken out of the game for a few minutes, is able to come back, but then the cramps flare back up in the fourth quarter, and so she was largely ineffective once those cramps set in. And ah, it's just such a shame because she was really starting to be that offensive threat ETSU needed when Stafford wasn't scoring. So that was unfortunate. Kaya Upton, they think, may have a separated shoulder. That would be obviously a huge loss. Um, She took some contact from a Furman player, went down, and came up cringing. She was able to continue, and, you know, the girls are nothing if not tough, right? I mean, Maya Adams has showed it, you know, playing completely – um, basically heading a trash can at Appalachian State. Uh, even go back to the Tennessee game when Erica Haynes Overton was still on the roster, uh, but uh, players that are still on the roster have done so as well. Micah Sheets has been battling through injuries all year. Jada Craig, of course. Um, the list goes on. But unfortunate that the Bucks are having to deal with such health concerns, health issues, and unfortunate that they popped up when they did last night. And in that second half, I think the Bucks were just out of steam. You know, their legs were dead. And Furman's a really good, balanced team. You know, they hit eight of their ten shots in the fourth quarter. Take nothing away from them, but um, certainly it didn't help ETSU that they have just been ravished by sickness and injury. So now i got to try to turn the page uh, because the Thursday, Saturday, right? You know, the men's basketball, again, an extra day there. Wednesday, Saturday, you get a short turnaround. This is probably the toughest home stretch at home. Would you agree with that? That's the, the, the two toughest – travel road partners right so you got to turn back around and uh, take on a Wofford team that's got some pesky guards that can really put up some points pesky guards and prolific guards no question and it's led by Chloe Wanick I mean there's no doubt that now that Eric Haynes Overton is out of the league you know she is the best guard in it Nadine Solomon's more of a wing slash forward for UNCG I think it's probably going to be between those two for player of the year. And there's some outside kind of horses on the outside, I guess you could say, that could charge hard and and make some noise too. But I think the name recognition for both of them um, and just the offensive um, integrity that Chloe Wanick shows every night is very impressive. Now, I'll say this. I thought coming into the year, this was Wofford's season. I thought Mercer was going to take a step back. thought Furman was strong, wasn't sure they were ready to make the jump to the top of the league. Clearly, so far, I've been wrong about that, and I've been very wrong about Wofford. Uh, Their starting five has been together every game except one this year. Lily Hatton's the only one that's missed a game. Alexis Talman started that one. But Wanick, Deja Green, Jamari McDavid, Cairo Booker, those are all very recognizable names for people to pay attention to Southern Conference basketball on the women's side. One thing that's hurt, they're missing Jackie Carmen. She was all freshman team last year, was probably going to be the freshman of the year before she went down with a really bad knee injury middle of the year or middle of the way through January. Uh, so that made her miss the rest of the season. I think she's still recovering from it. I don't have any official word on that, but if so, it's now over a year since she sustained that injury. And if that is the case, you're probably talking about multiple ligaments because they've got ACL surgery down to a point where you can be out, you know, 9, 10, 11. You get over a year, and there's probably some other complications going on there. I plan on finding that out from uh, Wofford's staff tomorrow before we take on the Terriers. But yeah, I mean, that hurts because she really, as a shooter, is someone that can make a really big difference. And you could tell last year when that injury was suffered, it did change their offense. And they were down to uh, very few bodies to be able to help them out in conference play. And that's been the theme for this team. You know, over the last few years, you've had three straight years, really, of injuries biting them. 2016-17, at one point in the conference year, they were down to six in terms of people they could throw out on the court. So one sub, plus they're starting five. 2017-18, Wanick. 
was lost early on in the season with a season-ending injury, and that changed the complexion of their year two seasons back. Then last year with Carmen plus Lauren Cook, Anna Claire Atha, uh, Aliyah Harris, Elena Polanco, they combined, combined to play in just 30 games. Cook missed the whole year. Carmen missed half of it. Polanco, Atha, and Harris played in just 13 combined games, uh, and all of those were early on. So the big loss is Carmen. Now, Polanco, Harris, and Cook are back, but last year just injuries were impossible to avoid for Wofford, it seemed like. This year they've been pretty healthy, and I just don't really understand. It's a team that can kind of come and go, you know, offensively. You look at their 91 opponents, they put up big numbers, but take out the 91s and those offensive numbers, and they've been a pretty average offensive team, which is completely surprising considering all their weapons. The 58 points at Sanford, and Sanford... Strange. Well, Sanford, play, right, that Princeton slowdown, but when Sanford scores 74... You assume the other team has an opportunity to score that many. It's one thing if Sanford's, you know, 58-56 and you look at the possessions and the number of shots and they've limited. That's a situation where, again, struggled. And then the shocker, I mean, this isn't Chattanooga of old. But they go in and lose. Was that just second Chattanooga win? Third third, third Chattanooga third, win? Yeah. I mean, shocking. Yeah. I, it just So I don't know what to expect from Wofford. Last year, Tissue had an easy time with them in Brooks Gym. Last year, just had a shot to tie it, I think, in the education game, uh, right around the buzzer, give Ain't or take. Right, three, right, yeah. right, I mean, it was right there. So, had an opportunity and was down a lot, was able to come back, fight, scratch, and claw. But this is Inbrook's team where they've had success against Wofford. But you're right, the offensive numbers are just staggering some of the things that you look at when they score, when they don't score. A lot of the key players back, you're assuming, you know, would be able to get, as you said, a favorite maybe coming in to – you know, a lot of people thought, obviously Chattanooga's been on a back burner the last couple of years, but a lot of people thought, hey, it's time to crown somebody new. Mercer's going to be on the down. Who's going to yep. be able to step up? Wofford's one of the first names on the list. Furman was another one. UNCG, TSU are kind of down there. Now, all of a sudden, you see UNCG up at the top. So, I'm not sure what to expect from the Terrier. Same token, I don't know what to expect from ETSU in this one either. And who's going to be out there again? To beat Mercer by 28 at home, if you're Wofford, and lose by 16 to Sanford on the road. I just don't know which way is up. Uh, it's it's so strange on both the men's and women's sides. You know, there's just been some results where you really drop your jaw, open your eyes, scratch your head, whatever you want to say. I mean, it's been very odd. And to have a 44-point difference, I get it. You know, okay, you beat Mercer, you lose to Sanford. Sanford is a one of those weird places to play, right? Never anybody in the gym. It's a long trip for most of the school's Honestly, is there a lot around when you get there? You kind of look like, okay, we were on the bus for seven hours for this. You know, and then you go and play the game, and you can just come out flat. That's just kind of the energy that's around a trip to Sanford, a trip to Mercer. Now, Mercer, they do have a good crowd there generally, and they've been one of the top teams in the league the last couple of years, so at least there's some energy there. But, goodness, with Sanford, it is odd. But that's kind of how the year's gone for Wofford. They're 0-5 on the road, so count that Sanford loss in that camp. And 7-4 and at home. They've got three non-D1 wins, beat Asheville by 37, but then lost to Appalachian State by three. And UNC Asheville and Appalachian State, I think this year, are teams that you would look and say, eh, pretty on par with each other. You, know, you look at ETSU's result against UNC Asheville. Okay, they lost by 18, but that was a couple of games after the Erica Haynes-Overton injury. People were trying to figure out you know, what was going to happen in terms of roles and who was going to take over, who was going to do what. Uh, when you lose your top returner in minutes, points, steals, blocks, assists, rebounds, etc., it takes a little bit of time. Um, but then Appalachian State, you know, ETSU beat by six. So I guess the ratios are semi-similar if you look from ETSU to Wofford. But 
Anyway, you take a lot of threes if you're Wofford. They hit even more by comparison. 35th in the country in three-point percentage. 19th and fewest turnovers. They hit their free throws, 51st in the country at that. Scoring margin plus eight, 86th in the country in scoring offense. But you take out the 100 scored against Erskine, 89 scored against Bob Jones, and 82 scored against Brevard, and they haven't broken 80 this season. So it's a tale of opponents on a day-by-day basis for them. Um, and those three games were the only ones that they made double-digit double digit threes. Um, so it's, it's odd to see what's happening with Wofford. Furman was number one in the coaches' poll. Wofford was number two. I think Furman showed down the stretch last night that they deserve to be up there. Wofford's yet to do that, to be quite honest. I mean, your top six scorers are back, and you're eight and ten, and one and two in the league. So this is a team that is dangerous. There's no question about it. Just by their personnel, they haven't been good on the road. That favors ETSU, though it's not a long trip for the Terriers. Last year, you remember, actually was a, a Wofford lead going to the fourth quarter, and then ETSU explodes for 39 points, the most in the quarter era of women's basketball for the Bucs. So, um, and that was their story last year. Wofford just couldn't play four quarters because they didn't have enough bodies. And you hope the shoe is not on the other foot this year because ETSU obviously reeling after a couple of injuries last night and having just eight healthy bodies trotted to the court. I'm just looking at some of the individual numbers and a couple of the ladies, I mean, two ladies having a double figure. Now, now McDavid's right on the cusp at 9.7. Right. And then, you know, got a couple at seven and there's a drop-off. I mean, it just... It's just not seeing like they're getting all-around games uh, one way or another. They've never been particularly great three-point shooting. They've just got two shooters, Wanick and Green, and other than that, it, it drops off tremendously. And they shoot it very well. Well, and they both sh- have, have attempted over 100. So right. 215 out of the 370 mm. have just come from two players, and Wanick shooting at an absurd 47% clip for the season. So it's hitting just a four, three-game sample size here of the Southern Conference only. The whole season where people know she's going to shoot, she's shooting 47%. Uh, Deja Green shooting 37%. Then then you start to see the drop-offs. But, again, there's only one person that's taken 40 or more attempts from there. So there's just two two ladies going to shoot from the outside to me. It might be as simple as that. You know, make sure, as you mentioned, they've only had a couple games they've hit double-digit threes. Stop them from – just guard the, the arc. Make them go, as uh, Coach Forbes would say, two by two by two and see if Wofford can score enough that way. That would be sort of the game plan. They're not very deep. I think VTSU, who's been great at getting in the free throw line, gets to the free throw line. To me, it, it might, you know, of course, we oversimplify everything, but it, to me it's that simple. If you can guard against the three, you can get to the free throw line because they're not particularly deep. I think you got a great chance to win a Brookshire. Part of the issue last night for ETSU was that they were the ones in foul trouble. They didn't get Selena Taborn and Leje Davidson and Melissa Manolovic in foul trouble. It was the opposite. And ETSU can't be the ones with the amount of players that they have to have young ladies have to sit out for extended periods of time with fouls. Um, Elise Stafford, 23 points. How does she follow that game up? She's been a lot better lately, developing more consistency. Can Kaya Upton play at all? She was obviously the big catalyst in the Western Carolina game. Micah Sheets has been a bit down in terms of efficiency as conference plays set in. Can she have a better game? Put up Elise Stafford-type numbers from the Furman game. Uh, If you can have Sheets and Stafford as your one-two, it's a big coup for Brittany Zell and company, and that can win you some games. Ty Kimbrough uh, wasn't a great night offensively for her, but again, huge on the defensive end. As you said, Wofford is not deep, but ETSU isn't either right now. And in bold predictions, I'm going to tell you a bold prediction about this team. 
for this game tomorrow against Wofford that is going to go probably completely against what we're talking about. But in order to win, they're going to have to probably put up a lot of points because Wofford, while they haven't broken 80 this year, we saw the type of game that it was at Brooks Gym last year when they had essentially the same personnel. They had just lost Jackie Carmen like a week earlier, so they're used to playing without her against DTSU in this setting. And I just don't know if you're going to be able to hold down Wanick, Green, McDavid, and Booker. That's a very tall task, especially considering the health issues ETSU is dealing with. So you're probably going to have to score, and I think the Bucks can. But that's a teaser. Teaser for bold predictions, which is up after this timeout. San Jose sidekick on the Bucket Air Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. A segment that Mike Gallagher used to love and starting to turn on him. Sort of like his uh, thoughts about, uh, what was his name again? Robbie Fest. There it is. There it is. All right. Just want to bring that back up again. I want to see that vein in the top of your head. Full prediction. Up. I meet Rob Fessler in the parking lot after the game <sighs> of whatever game he referees on Saturday. No, I'm not going to go through. I was going to say, I still don't think that goes well for you. No, it does. That would not go well. I, firstly, I may get my rear end destroyed by Rob Fessler because he's a bigger guy than me. And secondly, job may be in jeopardy. And I think that we risk our jobs enough on this show on a day-to-day basis. I totally agree with that. 14 to 13, I'm on top. Uh, we're both, honestly, you look at the pace from last year, and I'm going to start breaking down numbers here. We're actually both doing better at this point than we were Yeah. last season on bold predictions. I'm 14 of 58. You're 13 of 58. Percentage-wise, we're both well above How the about Mendoza one line. I've had one less pick. Uh, no, both have 58. We both picked 14 of 58 and 13 of 58. Oh, of 50. Yeah, you haven't gotten oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I know sorry, it's shocking sorry. to you you haven't been able to get one more right, but that's where you're down is so, getting so, right. For some, reason, for some reason, I thought you said that we were yeah. we were 14. To 50. Got you, got you. I like that because you don't get our loss number out there. That's Just 14 somebody, to 13. Somebody yeah. like me when can't figure hear, out the math. When you hear okay. 58, right. it's yeah, not quite as impressive. Okay, uh, you go first. I do? Yeah. Well, can I just go with the obvious one? It's one of your resolution. Can I just go with the obvious one? My Tennessee Titans. Let's give it up. Oh, my Tennessee Titans. This is why it's are going to continue to do it. My Tennessee Titans, uh, as I am sticking with my New Year's resolution, at least for the month of January, maybe the first uh, day or so of February, will defeat the Kansas City Chiefs. They will be in the Super Bowl. You know the sad part about that is you still will have stuck with your New Year's resolution longer than like ninety five percent of people. 95, 99, 99.9? Yeah, I'm just, you know. And even though you're faux doing it just to make me mad, it's somehow working out. It's, it's, it's my Titans. I'm even wearing the powder blue shirt today for you. 
How about that? Yeah. Bad boy up and go play ball. By, by the way, I've not worn khaki pants uh, to the taping of Santos and Sidekick since the New Year's You're Revolution. in jeans today. You've, you have not even brought that up. Kramer from You're Seinfeld. still wearing, you know, kid shirts, but still, I'm just saying. Have you seen the episode of Seinfeld where Kramer tries to fit into his old jeans? Yes. This Solid. is like you. You've got jeans. I don't think I've seen you in jeans in my entire time here. I'm, at just, I'm, just, I'm just saying. I, I've, I, I basically have gone to Khaki Tuesdays. <laughs> the glor- I've, I've made it a date. Not Taco Tuesday. I've gone to Khaki Tuesdays. Hmm. There you go. You're up. You I'm can't recover. Shell shot. Titans. <laughs> Titans. Here we go. I'm no Khaki pants. Packers over Niners. Oh. I'm sticking with the AFC North. I said before. They're both like touchdown underdogs, give or take. Which Bo- I think, both road teams, which, which I think is, is a, a lot sh- for the Niners. I agree with that. I don't think it's a lot I, for Kansas the Titans. Kansas City probably sounds right, but I agree. San Francisco, the things like seven, seven and a half, something. Like that. To me, that was shocking that both, not shocking the Titans. I guess it is more shocking that the Niners were more than a touchdown. I do think the Titans have a chance to keep it close, just because they've got such a workhorse in the backfield. But I mean, Ryan Tannehill is going to have to throw for more than eighty-eight yards to keep this game close for long. And do I trust him in doing so? No, it feels exactly to me like Blake Bortles and Jacksonville a couple of years ago against the Patriots, where it was a nice run, and it was cute, and it was fun, and everyone was like, whoa. But when push came to shove, I do hate Blake Bortles. Uh, But push came to shove in New England, they couldn't get it done. Now, they did keep that one close. So I do think that Ryan Tannehill will have to have a very good game in order to do that against an explosive offense that, what, scored 51 of the last 58 against Houston after being down 24 nothing, But if they can control the pace and keep it out of Mahomes' hands, they have a shot. I think the Packers, I'm just doubling down on the fact that I said before the preseason that both number one seeds in the NFL would not make the Super Bowl. Ravens obviously lost to the Titans, and now I'm looking for the Niners to do so. And I also am a little bit bitter at San Francisco for really wiping the floor with Minnesota. I had to watch way too many things on Twitter breaking down tape about how Kirk Cousins missed guys deep, missed guys over the middle, checked it down, didn't have any time. First of all, didn't you start that war with with your uh, Kirk Cousins tweet after they won the game, the first one? Oh, I've been fighting the war for much longer than that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it probably – I did have it coming. So for the men's basketball, the three-point shoot – I just want to throw this out there. In five conference games, West Carolina is averaging more than ten makes per Southern Conference game. 56 makes in five SOCON games. From three? From three. ETSU in six Southern Conference games has hit 37. Mm. Slight disadvantage. I'm going with ETSU. will win the battle beyond the arc against West Carolina. And the only reason I think that's a little more bold is because West Carolina is the best three-point defense in the league, giving mm. up just 27%. And they're the second-best three-point shooting team in the league. So I think the Bucs are going to overcome that defense put their defense into display, and have more threes made. If you would have made that as a bold prediction November 5th, the first day of the college basketball season, I would have dismissed you from the show instantly. That's fair. I don't think I have that power, but I would have tried. You would have put me in the parking lot with Rob. <laughs> That's right. I would have locked you two in a cage and ordered both of you to fight until one of you could not anymore. And then you would both probably break out of the cage and then chase after me, which not be any fun for me i think men's basketball wise i'm actually going away from etsu i do like your bold prediction because it has uh turned out to be a bold one with etsu and what they've done in conference versus western carolina what they've done in conference and funny enough even about a month ago i would have said etsu still would have had more threes but the way it's worked out lately definitely bold Uh, i saw last night or two nights ago one of the two one of two remaining teams in the country that were undefeated Mm. falling to their Crimson Tide rivals, Auburn, taking their first loss. San Diego State is going to be the next, and it's going to be Saturday at 8 o'clock on CBS Sports Network in the Mountain West, Nevada. On the road against San Diego State, I just don't think this Aztec team can continue this prolific of play. I mean, 
obviously they've been very impressive. To be the last team standing is um, an accomplishment in itself. But the clock's ticking, and I think the bell rings on San Diego State's undefeated season with the Wolf Pack. Is Nick Fizikas walking through that door? You remember Nick Fizikas? No. It's about the only Nevada player that I can name. But I'm going to go with it anyway. All right. Uh, speaking of clock is ticking, the Chattanooga Mocs have been lighting it up the scoreboard, and they're going to go into UNCG with a lot of confidence. But I'm going the other way, Mike Gallagher. UNCG with a 15 or more point victory against Chattanooga, who has been on fire. I think it comes crashing down. The Spartans will defeat you. Did you really think I was going Chattanooga? For a half a tick, I saw you perk up, thinking I was going to go Chattanooga. But I'm not. I'm going to go UNCG. Now, if Chattanooga goes in there and wins, I'm fine with it, clearly, uh, because it sets up a good Chattanooga-ETSU matchup uh, one way or another, plus helps in the standings. I just feel like that the numbers that I've been researching the last couple games at Chattanooga has been so lights out, at some point has to come crashing down. I think it will be against UNCG. I strongly consider that, and I want to go with Chattanooga just to go against you to have that Monday scene but instead, I'm going to go away okay. from that game because it just seems too risky to take Chattanooga on the road against one of the league favorites. I'm going to ETSU women's basketball, and this far into the season, they still have not scored 70 or more points against Division One opponent. They are going to do it against Wofford. I hope they win the game. Wofford's very explosive offensively. Getting to 70 would certainly give them a chance. I don't know how many bodies they're going to have. This is a risky bowl prediction. But with how the game unfolded, I have last year in my mind, 39 fourth quarter points last season at Brooks Gym. I think they're putting up 70 or more overall on the contest against Wofford. If you're a Southern Conference fan, you need to watch ESPNU tonight. It's Furman. It's Wofford at 7 p.m. We need, we, made it. we need numbers. Linear. Ratings. We'll recap the weekend. What I got right, what Mike got wrong on the back of there. Sports Network. See ya.